You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to today's episode of Women of the Military podcast. Today's guest is Ashley Gorbolja Maldonado. Ashley and I met via LinkedIn, and I'm encouraged and inspired by all the things she is doing for the veteran community. I can't wait to hear more about her military experience and tell you more about all the projects she's working on. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you for having me, Amanda. I appreciate Appreciate you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. So, oh gosh, such a such a long story, but I'll give you the synopsis. So I am 25 years old. I am a business owner, entrepreneur. I am a semifinalist for Miss Veteran America 2019 edition and graduated with my master's in public health with an emphasis on military programs and community wellness. I am also a legionnaire. I am running for my Ohio Department 14th district for second vice, and I have been a past commander at the University of Akron, which is a very inaugural, interesting post that's based on a university campus, as well as the Employment and Education National Appointee. I am a busybody. I do not slow down. I am still in the Ohio Army National Guard, where I am a inline staff sergeant, if you shall. So waiting on that rocker, thank to <laughs> just waiting on some money from the state to go to school. But I am looking to direct commission this year into the Army Reserves through the AMED as either a healthcare admin or looking into something to kind of branch off of my public health background to continue to serve my country. So that's that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. I've been going strong for school, three degrees, debt-free. You know, I have plenty of hobbies, but one of them is, is giving back to my community. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. That's so interesting. Can you tell me why you decided to join the military? My story is a little bit more family-oriented. Uh, when the recession hit, uh, it impacted my father's small business. And there was a lot of ambiguity with me going to school. There was conversation with my counselors who to this day will be nameless that kind of joked about me going in the military as almost a last resort. And, you know, hindsight, you're like, what? Like, that's such a silly, silly thing that somebody said to me. You know, I'm dyslexic. I have a, I had a 19 ACT score. I went to a tech school and, you know, people just kind of dismissed me. When I was looking into service branches, I was always very attracted to the army. And I always tell people, especially in my new book, that, you know, it's kind of like Harry Potter for those little pop culture. When Harry goes to the sorting hat, he is very nervous about what he decides and what's going to be chosen for him. And I think service members kind of already have this inkling inside of them and how they choose their service branches. So for me, it was about staying local and staying homegrown, if you will, to be around to support my brothers and my family in addition to paying for school and pretty much kind of proving everyone wrong. And, you know, it's a very, very immature sure thing to, to say, I guess. But, you know, at the time it was, wow, how can I improve and better myself and prove people wrong? And I have since, you know, it's been a seven, eight year journey now that I have done so many things because I have not placed limits on myself because when others, you know, will intentionally place limits on you, that's a reflection of them, not you. You know, moving into this new facade of, of, of service, I was drawn to it immediately. I excelled in basic and AIT. I went to school to be a military police and I went in as a fuzzy and in three and a half years I became an NCO and my six-year mark I was in line promoted to staff sergeant and right now I kind of quasi serve in a capacity as a platoon sergeant as well just 
with all of the moving parts, if you shall. But I love what I do. You know, I, I joke, my husband's a recruiter for the Ohio Army National Guard and he, he recruits them, I train them. And then with my newfound business, I help transition and educate and connect and inspire. So the military for me has been a beautiful stepping stone and foundation, if you will, to allow me to not only empower others, but to lead from the front and, and really embrace who I am. That's, you know, a little bit about the military for me. You know, I'm a non-deployed veteran going on eight years of service. You know, I tell people all the time it's the lottery and my bags are always packed and I've been on missions where if, you know, they called me up, I'd have to go. So I think everything happens for a reason and National Guard uh, really solidified everything that I needed to do. And it's been a huge catalyst for allowing me to do all the things in my community, duly serving, duly going to school, working multiple jobs and, you know, being in almost a constant state of transition, you know, when the drill weekend's over, I don't always get to take off my uniform. I, the responsibilities don't end. I may not have to report to a duty day every morning, but I still have to make sure that, you know, for next month's activities, I'm planning or I'm taking phone calls or making sure things are happening. So that's a little bit about my my service and how I came into uh, the Ohio Army National Guard, what I'm, you know, currently doing, working on that commissioning piece and in greater aspect to how it's contributed to all the things I'm doing now. What is it like? What's the process? to go from enlisted to commission in the guard? Oh, so it's a kind of a daunting process. So you could go to the state OCS. They've got green to gold programs. However, I've tried to find a, an occupation that I could switch to, but the guard has not known for its immense availability, unfortunately. It's just one of the downfalls of being a state entity and state funded. So you have to wait until someone gets out of that position or it's very political. So that being said, uh, the direct commissioning piece was something that was a lot more attractive considering I've, I finished my master's. I didn't want to go into just a basic branch officer position. I wanted to go into specialty branch, utilize my skills. So the Army Reserves had a, a much more complete package because at this point, it's, it's not about the education benefits. It's about uh, the career and impact that I'll have. So with that being said, the National Guard you know, commissioning process, if you're looking to do it and that's something you want to do, too easy, you can go to OCS. It's as simple as you know putting a soldier action request with your chain of command and, you know, getting approved for the official start dates and they have different terms or sessions, if you will. So there are accelerated, you can do like the two year program where you go like once a month. My biggest thing is I didn't want to lose my, my occupation qualification and I didn't want to be stuck without a home and I didn't want to end up waiting and sitting on a commission because they didn't have a, a spot for me. And at this point, going on eight years, you know, I loved what I do as an MP, but I, I, I can't do it for 20 years. I want to have a little bit of variety in my career. You know, I always tell people MPs are the most flexible, malleable occupations in the service. We do everything. They task us out for anything. You know, I'm a, I got a CDL license. You know, I'm driving a bus. I'm doing army body composition program. I'm an admin ninja. I'm running logistics. You know, I, I feel like I'm all of these jobs and with all these occupation codes wrapped into one. I really like it. It's a great opportunity if you can do it and you want to stay in the guard. But for me, going to the reserve side of the house means a little bit more opportunity and flexibility. So in the event that I want to be in some sort of rotation or you know get into an occupation where I get to move a little bit, it's it's better off versus you know me going right into say Army Reserves or active duty. You know, with those being both federally funded, it's it's a different ball game. So National Guard, it's too easy for me personally because I'm in the National Guard trying to switch component. I had to put in a conditional release. I had a bit of a folly with my conditional release this past year. I had a line of duty injury in 2000. 
2017 and while trying to overcome some of the, you know, ramifications of injury, I was due to policy change told I need to take a PT test. And I had subsequently failed my first PT test in seven years. Within a month, I came back and the timing just wasn't right. So I waited nine months to direct commission for that door to shut in my face. So then I had to restart. And Amanda, it was insane. I literally went and did a PT test January 7th of this year. And I went in for knee surgery on the 10th. And I submitted all my packet and I'm ready to go. I'm about halfway done with the reserve side component, but I have to wait until my entire chain of command decides that we're going to sign off and let Sergeant G go. And that has been probably one of the most like anxious, you know, pretentious moments that anyone can imagine. It's like sitting and waiting for a board or waiting to be told if you're going to, you know, you're going to get the job kind of thing. So my anticipated theory is I I get out of the service November of this year. I have a, a strong feeling that I will have to wait until I get out and I will turn around in less than 24 hours and raise my right hand again and direct because I am just waiting on paperwork due to inefficiency. And I know that there's a lot of moving parts and I don't really, I'm not going to play a blame game, but that's just, you know, that's how it's, that's how it's happening. And I'm looking at the bright side because I'm not going to let anything get in my way. I've, I've waited eight years. I've been trying to do this for at least three years. So it's going to happen. At this point, they can say no, 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 and they can hold me because I'm a green metric, but I'm still going to go and I'm going to continue to serve my country because that's what I want. Yeah. It sounds, like, <laughs> it sounds like you uh, will work hard to get what you want. So I'm sure it will all work out and, and just might take I a while. I appreciate that. That's the hope. I know. I'm very patient. That is one thing service has taught me is, you know, patience is virtue, right? Hurry up and wait. Stand by to stand by. Roger that. Good copy, Charlie Mike. Like that is what I know. So when it comes down to it, I have learned that, and I, I tell my soldiers this all the time that, you know, with discipline, grit, and a plan, and you can build any door of opportunity. And if, you know, you're having a hard time building that door, just start kicking some of them down. Start asking hard questions, just right. embracing who you are, being uncomfortable, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Like life is uncertain and you got to be able to take risks and chances. And I'd say calculated risks, let me, right. you know, back up calculated risks, but it's, uh, it's incredibly important. And if you want to do something, the only one that's typically stopping you are your aunt's anticipated negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. You got to learn how to squash those and you know, be yourself and be confident and competent. And that's how you, you make mission and you, you drive on. For sure. That's true. That's great advice. Have you faced any struggles while serving in the military? Oh, sure. I mean, I've, I've found myself time and time again feeling like I've always had to kind of prove myself uh, to my peers both male and female. I think it's a very interesting organization. And once you kind of figure out like who you are and your confidence and your competency levels, it really can start opening some doors. I've definitely faced some adversity and had to really put my resilience training, you know, to, to test. Um, you know, I've had people say negative things to me to the extent of, oh, well, you know, you're just, you're just a, you know, a female NCO. What do you know? It's about knowing who you are. And like I said, I've had people just say really terrible things or kind of undermine or play me as the underdog. And quite frankly, I'm to the point where I like when people underestimate me because I'm very smart. <laughs> and I will say that and not in a condescending cocky way, but like I'm a smart woman. As we've discussed, I'm very patient and I know how to, to pick strategy and build relationships. And that has been very positive and how I've reframed any negative aspects of my, my military career. You know, I've, I've had older peers, older than myself, who have been around a lot longer, who have questioned my, my leadership or questioned my abilities and I have time and time again proved them to be wrong. So 
Yes, I'd say a lot of it comes from the lack of expanding paradigm and accepting that a female leader is a leader and changing the language from I'm a type A, I'm cold, I am a a, a B-I-C-T-H or whatever that language is. In translation, if it were said to my male peer, it would be, oh, he's a leader. Oh, he's focused. Oh, he's passionate. So I do my darndest to have and combat those language conversations because as a woman, I have a voice and nobody can take that voice away from me, especially when I am sitting in my training meetings. If I said nothing, that's on me. But if I say something, that's on them. And that's, you know, again, the limits they place on themselves. I had mentioned my line of duty injury. I had been accused of faking my injury and that really hurt. That hurt really bad for someone who, you know, used to, and I say used to max PT scores ever since my injury and just not a lot of it's just mental now with the running and I still get a lot of pain in my knee. But you know, I used to be a 300 PT score and dress right dress, did everything right superiorly ranked in my NCOERs and you know nobody nobody questioned how I was doing but as soon as I got injured it felt like I was disposable and that really really hurt me um, when I had uh, several peers you know tell me oh I'm I'm faking an injury and I'm just like I fell down a cliff like I'm clumsy and I fell down a cliff and I was at the end of the duty day, going back and doing homework and setting up a hot spot because I had started my master's and I was still leading soldiers. And I, I think what the most devastating part about that was my my leadership at that time didn't realize by their actions and not taking me to the ER for 10 hours and making me sit and wait, you know, my lower enlisted female saw that. And they thought, oh my gosh, if they're treating Sergeant G like this, how are they going to treat me? Why would I want to become an NCO? Why would I want a position of leadership if I'm going to have to face so many unnecessary obstacles and be accused of something that when you come back with 32 pages worth of paperwork and potential stress fractures that, you know, why, why, why do I have to have that conversation? So I've spent a lot of my career combating that and making sure that my soldiers don't have to deal with some of that negativity. And I buffer a lot of that out. So I absorb and I am kind of like this, you know, uh, like sponge of shock, I suppose. I make sure that they're okay and they don't have to see some of this not like stuff that's just unnecessary. So I think being a, a, a woman, a woman leader, you know, I, call, I just call myself a leader because that's what I am. But it's about, you know, doing the right thing and having integrity and really embodying those values that make you who you are. And despite all of the adversity and troubles that I've had, you know, even trying to get into ROTC, I was in a situation where it was five men against me. And I lost a commission early on when I tried to go to an ROTC program. And I had to watch all of those men get back into the program when I was the one who was told you, you're not the victim, you you did it to yourself. Like, you know, coming from a, um, a military sexual trauma perspective, you know, and then trying to combat and then you know, compete and become an NCO and help other women empower them. Um, I think that there there's a lot to be said and what can be done to improve, you know, the the service and aptitude and things of that nature, especially within the National Guard. Overall, fantastic experiences. You know, and I'm I'm speaking to a very, very few moments of real trial and adversity. But, you know, from my perspective, it's it's made me who I am. It's helped me expand the way I think, my emotional intelligence as to how I interact with other people. So those would be probably the biggest challenges. It's like, you know, combating the language, always feeling like you're in a constant on your game competitiveness, just so that you can, you know, play the game, if you will, and be a part with the male peers and then overcoming obstacles where 
individuals may slight you or, you know, try and degrade your character by accusing you of something that is totally unwarranted. It would not happen to a male. So there's there's a lot of things that have happened. But again, they've, they've all made me who I am. Yeah, I think that the stuff that happened, there is stuff that happens in the military and you have to overcome it, but it also makes you stronger. The good things, for, at least for me, far outweighed the bad things in the military. So it made it worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have more, I have amazing stories of soldiers who, you know, I've taken under my wing and have done amazing things. I have a young lady who is uh, in the, uh, she's down in Columbus area. She's a police officer. And I remember she came up to me. She was, Sergeant G, I need some help with a resume. And I go, absolutely. I need a reference. Absolutely. I need help. I'm going to try and go into police academy, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she comes to me and she's like, you know what? I got to finish this degree. And I don't know what to tell this chief of police. I got selected for this, this, and this, and I want to do this, but it's not the right time. And I go, you be honest with him. And you tell them you're going to come back full force. You're going to have your degree. You're going to get back up in these top ranks and that you want this job. And sure enough, a, a year later, you know, she had completed her degree she reapplied. She was like three out of 700 candidates and her resume, everything that I was able to help her and coach her with. And you know, when she invited me to her badge ceremony, I cried. I was really proud of her. I had a, a, a young soldier whose mother was terminally ill and I had a great deal of, of empathy for this young man. And he was so strong. He you know, was helping with his sisters. Ironically enough, fate may it be, this young man's grandfather had come into contact with my father years and years ago, got him out of a speeding ticket from all things going MP, ironically enough. Um, we got him out of a speeding ticket in the 80s. And, you know, he said one day, don't worry, a garbolja will help a meadows. And sure enough, you know, a few generations later, his grandson is in my ranks. And it was, it was really meaningful to have my entire squad to go to fundraising events and support him and give him meals and, you know, provide him, you know, a gift card and some funds and holidays. And this young, this young man's um, mother had passed away. And, you know, I had multiple soldiers show up to the funeral and support him. It really cultivating that leadership of taking care of one another and, you know, soldiers, you know, people come first, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes we get so hung up on, on the numbers and the metrics, but at the end of the day, if we're not taking care of one another, you know, we're, we're not having a, a viable force that's, that's really mission ready. Or do we? Yep. That's no, true. His, he was the honor grad for Cleveland police, his police academy, you know, he, he gave the honor speech and I, I sat in the back and, you know, I was the only one there from the unit and it was, it was very meaningful. I have soldiers that I have, you know, I, I adopt a lot of soldiers. <laughs> That's just what it is. Like I have my administrative responsibilities and team, but there are many that have just kind of, you know, very magnetized, just kind of are drawn to me and helping them in any way, shape or form, whether it's with education, employment and helping them with the transition piece or resources. That's been a natural part part of, of my role. And that's how I feel as an NCO. That's how it should be. I should be this beacon and guide on, and I should be the one leaning from the front and setting the standard. In the National Guard, I'll tell you what, I've, <laughs> I've had a lot of people tell me that you're too hua, Sergeant G, you're too motivated. I'm just like, what's wrong with loving what you do? And that somehow scares people sometimes. And they translate that as I'm trying too hard. And I'm like, it's not trying too hard. It's knowing your job and being competent. Sometimes that scares people. You know, some people feel threatened by that. And, you know, I I kindly tell them that, you know, that's, that's your perspective, but I'm still going to be here for you. And I'm not going to take that in a negative way. Like I love what I do and I'm not going to let you and your opinion affect how I do my job. Unless it's like, you know, I'm not against constructive feedback, but then like if you're going to come at me and be like, Hey, Hey, Sergeant G, I like this, but we could do this better. That's after action report. And that's totally feasible. But if you come at me and you're like, you're too micromanaging and you're too this. And I'm like, what? I go, I'm sorry. Me doing my job, holding people accountable and taking care of them. Shocker. Like that's what I'm supposed to do. 
do. And if you have a problem with that, you need to reassess what is making you insecure. So I'm going to kind of shift away a little bit from the military and talk about what you're doing now, because there's so much that you're doing now and I don't want to run out of time and not talk about that. So Let's first talk about the fact that you're competing for Miss Veteran America and talk a little bit about what the process has been like. Sure, sure. So very exciting. I had been watching this uh, since last year kind of unfold. And I said, oh, 2019, I'm going to run. I'm going to do this. I'll be done with my master's. You know, it just one thing led to another. And I had realized I was like, wow, so this is a an advocacy role and position. It is not a beauty pageant. It is not. It is a competition of a bunch of badass women coming together from all branches. There is no age, height requirement, shape, size. It doesn't matter. We are a bunch of women that want to make a difference. And you know, that that grace, that poise, the service, and it's the women beyond the uniform. And that was what really drew me to it. I thought, wow, like all of the advocacy and the things that I do currently. And I preface, when I was in high school, one of the random quirky things that I did was I was a, com- a community ambassador for my city, Brunswick, Ohio. And I was in Brunswick Fashion Days. And I I went to over 81 cities in three years. I went to festivals and county fairs and I got to speak and mentor young women. And I loved it. I loved it. There was a little bit of that beauty and glamour being young. and But I got to meet so many people and that really shaped who I am today in regards to maturity level and competency and confidence. You know, I went through a lot of friend groups when I was in high school because people were like, uh, wow, you're intense. <laughs> but now as an adult and, you know, continuing to serve and having this value system and you know all the things I do selfless service advocacy wise it, it made sense so there are there are four different avenues so there's the advocacy piece which is judged the entire duration from when you sign up you have the interview which comprises of final salute Inc which is the sole benefactor charity if you shall for the organization it is specifically to provide safe and suitable housing for homeless women veterans and their children there is a remarkable amount of literature out there that showcases that there is a lot of preference towards a male transition housing. And there's not a lot of focus on like women-based housing that additionally provide avenues for children. So the awareness, advocacy for Final Salute has been fantastic. So that interview will consist of, you know, understanding what my role is as an ambassador and the soul charity and other, I'm sure, you know, contemporary events, things discussing like the Mission Act and say the American Legion's legislative, legislative agenda, things that are out there. I mean, and if you're following with a lot of women-specific topics, especially with the VA currently. So those kind of are all comprised in the interview. There is a talent. Um, This year it is all lip singing and I'm very, very excited. I have a really cool lineup. I'm not trying to give anything away, but it's very Disney-esque. That's all I will say. Hashtag Disney. Love it. Disney kid. And then finally, military history. This one's kind of up in the air for me personally because there's so much. And I'd like to believe that we're going to focus on like the first of first women breaking glass ceilings. So I'm, I'm kind of preparing for like a little bit, like, you know, 1776, all all the way up to, you know, first major general of like, you know, so there's a lot. So I will be judged in those four aspects. So as a semifinalist, I will go to the competition at the end of June. I'll be at the uh, University Nevada, Las Vegas, yeah, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, excuse me. And it's going to be a closed audition. So however many contestants are there, we will go through, you know, a dog and pony show and we will make it happen. And we're going to be evaluated in our regards to, to being the best ambassador, you know, and I, I like to speak things in existence and I, I 
will be part of that top 25. Like I am very confident. I want this. And again, like I said, speaking into existence. So they will select the top 25 and we will move to October where I will then compete again, whether it's going to be top 10, top three, or the Miss Veteran America that will take place in Hollywood, California. I'm believing that the site location will remain the same at the Hollywood American Legion. If it does change, awesome sauce. Regardless, I will be out in California for any listeners. So let's hang out. So besides that, the competition is really unique. If you have an opportunity, check out the Miss Veteran America Facebook page. There's Twitter page. Look at the final salute. Miss Jazz Booth. Oh my goodness. I am so excited to meet this woman. She is so high speed. It's unreal. Like she is the founder of Final Salute and you know, she's a cancer survivor. She embodies just this high speed momentum and empowerment of women. In addition, Denise Gordon, who was a previous title holder, is the director for Miss America or Miss Veteran America, excuse me. And I'm excited to meet these ladies in person. They have so much ambition and I want to match that and help them carry on the mission. So really excited about this opportunity to inspire and be the voice of women veterans for this country. You know, we are warriors. We are not damsels in distress and we have so much to offer and there, you know, we shouldn't be differentiated because of our, our biological sex. So having services and resources and vice versa are incredibly important to myself and, you know, my tribe, if you will. But yeah, that, that's a little bit about Miss Veteran America and progressing forward. So I'm working on events, fundraising, I'm seeking donors and sponsors. So if any listeners want to, you know, donate to the final salute cause, I have a crowd race page specifically for that. And I have a GoFundMe for sponsoring me to go to the event just to offset costs for travel, you know, flight, hotel, um, helping me with my gown, maybe a few props here and there, but just making sure that I can do everything without burning a, a big hole in my pocket and make sure that I can do what I need to do. And so, yeah, so there, there's a few options. I also have a Facebook page. I'd love for you to share it, like it and invite your friends. My goal is to get a thousand likes and then I'm going to hopefully I have a few business partners lined up that if I get a thousand likes, they will donate the equivalent to how many likes I have. So that's pretty cool. So I'm that working on that. Yeah, so. I'll put links yeah. to all the, to your GoFundMe page and all the other stuff that you mentioned so that people can find it in the show notes. So that way they don't have to hit pause and go back and they'll have all that information. Mm-hmm. What are you doing with your business? You talked a little bit about helping veterans transition. What are you doing exactly? So my background is in higher education. While I was in the National Guard, part-time, rocking and rolling, multiple, multiple jobs, going to school full-time, I worked in higher education and veteran programming in Cleveland. I worked at (laughs) the community college out there and I ran their metropolitan campus. So it was a family encompassed model where you didn't just have to be a student to walk in and receive services. I was a VA work study at the University of Akron where I got a lot of my uh, start in Legionnaire and Student Veterans of America and a lot of just advocacy and uh, fundraising and whatnot. So I pretty much have this backdoor, you know, backroom behind the curtain Wizard of Oz experience, right? And then I've got this customer service aspect and then I was the student. So I have these three, you know, perspectives of how the operation works. So I had had an opportunity through the Washington Center. Uh, I was the second round cohort for veteran education uh, trajectory. I was given a $14,000 valued scholarship, 125 in the country to go and live in DC for 10 weeks this past summer, 2018. And I interned with the American Legion Employment Education Division. And I spent a great deal of time networking and I was so inspired. 
Amanda, so, so inspired. I met so many amazing people who were like, oh my gosh, like, who are you? Why haven't I heard of you? You're amazing. Like, wow, like not to feed the ego, but wow, it was a great experience. And I was sitting in Lafayette Square. I was eating my lunch and I was overlooking the White House and I had my epiphany. I, I call it my Peter Parker moment, minus the radioactive spider, because I'm a big comic book geek <laughs> and I love that. But uh, it just dawned on me. I go, oh my gosh, see a need, fill a need. Not to quote robots, Rob Williams, but that's exactly what it was, Amanda. I thought, gosh, I want to start my own business. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to take my master's and I want to provide actionable results for my community. And Guidon was born. You know, with that being said, Guidon is a symbolic flag that all branches can, you know, resonate with. For the civilian population, they see a flag and they kind of know what it means. <laughs> but for my military folks, that's really kind of the beacon, right? That's, you know, where we we rally up. That's where our commander's intent and that's where we, you know, show our pride and our unit and our accolades and vice versa. And I thought, gosh, this is it. Like it came to me and I thought, I want to be a veteran program consultant. I want to help nonprofits, businesses, higher education, help tap into the military community, help them recruit, retain, and realign their veteran branding to have hard conversations and work in strategic outcomes and tasks so that their long-term goals can, long-term goals can be met. So I additionally do keynote speaking where I can you know, do inspirational, educational, um, you name it, I can talk about it. With that being said, I'm, I'm a presenter and a trainer. So I have my own build your own workshops and these workshops respectfully are, you know, for civilian and military to kind of, you know, bridge that education gap and professional development. So I can go into businesses and I can talk about one topic and I can take that same topic and I can, I can put a, like a little bit of a twist on it from my veteran group. Those that are in transition, those that are still in active duty, those that have been out for 10 years and they're trying to find a new, you know, new path. So all of these different aspects have, have come in culmination of guide on education consulting. So my last tenet is mentorship. And I do that through the Veterati platform, which I absolutely adore. I think it's fantastic. USAA, the founders did such a great job. And now I'm connecting as a mentor and a mentee all across the country. And I think mentorship is so important. It's helped me dramatically with my my business in eight months. I mean, to have an opportunity through my my networks to go out to the you know Pacific Northwest Conference that I was just at here like a week ago, um, or you know April timeframe, if you shall, to be able to go out there and have them pay for my ticket and go and talk about how to leverage you know the big six VSOs in our communities and you know veteran resources and transition, like I could never have imagined in less than eight months of business, I have all these networks and people wanting to support me. And, you know, being a one man show, a one woman show, if you shall, I, I do a lot. So I'm constantly traveling. I will be in Washington, D.C. this week. I will be at the Burbas event at uh, MGM Harbor or MGM National Harbor. It's the casino and hotel, vice versa. Um, but I'm going to go to that event. So, you know, I, I love what I do. You know, people are like, oh, it seems really busy. You seem really, really busy. And I, I, I counter that language and I say I'm very productive. I'm very productive and I love what I do. So for me to go out to this event and, you know, I'm subsequent, I'm, I'm helping other events in the process. Um, there's a student veteran fundraiser that I started going on its fourth year that'll be happening the same night. There's a pitch competition and I just took silver in, you know, it's some cash in my pocket and opportunities that my university has opened up for me in that regard for an opportunity to get more money. You know, I have reasonably started a business that didn't have a lot of startup costs. And it's all based on everything that I've got upstairs in my head and how I am as a person and building relationships. You know, I'm excited to finish 
finish up my book and get everything copyrighted. The goal at this point is to get it done by the end of the year. And it's just because I didn't realize I overestimated how complicated copyright and how-to genre can be. And uh, when you don't have extra, extra dollars, you got to make sure you get the right person that's going to format in a way that it's appealing. If I self-publish, I don't want it to be just another self-published random book. I want to do it right. So, you know, I'm, I'm Five Steps to Success Resource Manual for Veterans, a guide on education, too easy, something I can revise and continue and offshoot with different books or build curriculum, a first year experience coursework for higher education. There's, there's so many opportunities and it's been invigorating to realize that, you know, gosh, I had all this inside of me the whole time and I didn't want to get step out of my comfort zone. And now that I'm doing it, I'm inspiring others to do the same, inspiring others to join the American Legion, inspiring others to get involved in their communities, inspiring my soldiers to do more and do well. It, uh, it, it's invigorating. It's pretty cool. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but it, it, I wake up every day with purpose and mission and I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I'm going to continue to impact people's lives until I die. It's going to be great. Legacy Ward, here I come. Woo! What would you tell girls considering joining the military? If you want to do it, do it. There are no limits. You know, we've we've constantly talked about our societal roles, and I used to say, that's hodgepodge. If you want to join the military, do it. There are so many opportunities. You will find a sense of empowerment. You will come out of your basic training realizing how strong and versatile you are. Whatever job you choose, you're going to do well at that job. You got to crush those anticipated negative thoughts. You got to stop putting limits on yourself and letting other people make decisions for you. As a, as a woman, you got to be confident. And if that's the decision you want to make, you got to you got a whole asset, not half asset. You got to commit and do it. As as a young woman, I, I constantly, you know, in, in a mentoring role, when I have younger, I have younger female cousins, and um, I mentor you know, Girl Scout troops, and I have conversations. I go to the LeBron James I Promise School, and I show them by example that anything is possible. That you are the only person that can put limits on yourself. And if you say, "Oh, I can't do the military. Oh, I can't have anybody yell at me." Oh, nonsense. Did your mom and dad yell at you all the time? You know, they're always going to be somebody telling you no. It's just there's an equation. It's, um, you know, events, responses, and outcomes. And your responses are the things that we can control. So events will happen in our lives. Just as my father's was the recession and not being able to go to school or being told that I wasn't, you know, worthy of college material. Nonsense. I graduated debt-free, $36,000 worth of scholarships. Too easy. You know, you are the only person that can put those limits on yourself. I always joke, you know, my dad used to tell me no. He always used to say, kind of fall in line, just kind of go with the status quo. Don't push it. Oh my gosh, shut your mouth. You're doing too much. Ah. And, you know, I always say, I'm like, you know what, dad? I'm glad I was defiant and I said no. And I just chose to be myself because, you know, at 24, I used my VA home loan to buy a home. I debt free with three degrees. I was able to start a business at 20, you know, 25, write a book, start my memoir, you know, do all the things that I want to do. And I never, you know, I don't strive to be mediocre. And I don't encourage anyone to do that. You know, continue to be your best self every day. And as a young woman, know that there are other trailblazers out there and find a mentor. And if you want to join the military, do it. What's stopping you? Just do it. That's great advice. And thank you so much for your time and for your perspective and for all that you're doing for um, the veteran community. And it's just so amazing to hear all you're doing and that you're 25 years old. That's crazy. I'm really excited to see what happens this year with Miss Veteran America and with all the other things that you have going on. And you guys should go check out her Facebook page and give her a like. And I'll make sure to put it in the show notes so that you can find it. And thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate your time. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmentomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.